Hi guys, I'm Emily Chen Newton and this is Six Feet of Science, the show where I take your questions that just can't wait till you go back to school and find expert explainers to answer them. So obviously, a lot of you guys have questions right now about the coronavirus and other viruses just in general. And actually, one of our first questions that we got for our show is asking about viruses. So I called up on the phone an Omaha Public Schools teacher, Ms. Lestalia Hoskovec, and she teaches 7th and 8th grade honors science at Lewis and Clark Middle School. Hi. Hello. Thanks so much for reaching out. It was really exciting to hear one of my students have such an awesome question. Yeah. And so your student who called us, this question comes from Nora Purcell. And here's what Nora wants to know about viruses. Hi, this is Nora Purcell. Um, My question is, why do certain viruses stick to certain species? Like, why don't we have to stay away from our pets when we have a cold because they think they're going to get it? All right. So anyone who's watched the news has noticed that when they show the picture of the coronavirus, it has like certain shapes on the outside of it. And you can kind of think about those shapes like the edges of a puzzle piece. And so depending on how these puzzle pieces fit together kind of determines who they affect. Okay, so we can think of the virus as having this puzzle piece shape, and then there are certain receptors inside our body that are also puzzle pieces. And if they fit, if they match up with the virus, then that means we could possibly get sick from that virus. Is that right? Yes. Okay, so that's how we could possibly get sick from a virus. So are you telling me then that human beings and chickens and cats and dogs all have these different shapes inside of them? And so a virus might fit inside the human receptors, but it won't fit inside the puzzle piece inside the cow or the cat or the chicken. Is that right? Yes, that's exactly it. So I'm around my cat and let's say that my cat has cat flu. Um, We just don't have the same receptors. So her cat cells that get the cat flu with that puzzle piece shape, it just doesn't match anything in my body. So my cat could sneeze on me and it's like, my body's like, I don't know what this is and it doesn't matter. So it just, it just kind of slides right off and is not interacting in the same way. Um, So pigs are kind of fancy. They have receptors, they have three different shapes. And what that means is that they are very susceptible to different mutations. And when you say mutation, that just means that the virus is changing its shape so it could fit into different puzzle pieces. Yes, yeah. It's got a new haircut, it's got glasses on, it's, anyway, yeah, it's, it's got a new, something new about it that is um, gonna make it a little different than before. So those little knobs that stick out on the virus, if they change shape, the pig could still carry it, which is wild. It also means that, let's say that a bird, a chicken, like chicken and a pig, they're living in their little area together. Chicken has bird flu um, and it has a mutation. And because that pig has so many different receptors, it's just, you know, a, a higher likeliness that they would be able to maybe get it from the chicken. And just to clarify, because I never want any of my students to think that a mutation is something that is done on purpose. Um, you and I can go get a haircut, and that is a choice we make. Um, but 
you know, my hair goes gray. That's not a choice I make. That's just my cells are changing. Okay. So if a virus mutates, it's not because it's like, darn, I sure would like to get somebody else sick. It just that when it reproduces, when it, you know, has its little virus offspring, sometimes the DNA comes out a little different. And sometimes that means that those puzzle piece shapes change. Right. The virus isn't making a choice to get you sick or to get humans sick or pigs sick. It's just there is sometimes going to be a change in the structure when the virus reproduces, but it's not done on purpose. Correct. Yes. So that's basically why there's a new flu shot every year. Um, And they'll talk about H1N1. The H refers to one of the puzzle piece shapes and the N refers to the other type. And H1N1 was like a big deal because it was particularly like affected. It it affected a lot of people pretty severely. So that's the one that you hear about a lot in the news. Um, So what they try to do is at the beginning of flu season, and what usually happens is it makes that jump from pigs or birds to a human population and then kind of spreads out. Um, But we can anticipate it because we know the patterns. And so as soon as we see a new crop come up, doctors and the people who develop vaccines jump on what does it look like let's make the vaccine with those shapes and like i had mentioned um like dogs and cats we don't tend to share back and forth that way i'm not a dog flu expert um but based on the research i did it's just that our receptors are so different that the mutations generally aren't in the realm of being Uh, enough to go between us. Okay. And is there anything else that you would like to add before we say goodbye today? Um, You know, just keep washing your hands and just please, please, please stay safe and stay away from me until we can see each other again. (laughs) Um, Also, don't forget any student of mine, feel free to send me an email. I know you know how to spell my alphabet soup of a last name. Um, Anyone who's not my student know that your teachers are there. They're more than happy to field any questions you have. Um, We miss you and any chance we get to interact is really awesome in this time of social distancing. Thank you so much for (laughs) taking this time to jump on the phone with me and answer a few questions. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me on. This was a blast. So you heard Ms. Lestalia Hoskvec say that usually viruses don't cross between cats and humans or dogs and humans, but they can. And in the recent news, there have been some stories of a tiger in a zoo getting COVID-19. So I decided to reach out to another friend of mine and expert explainer to ask him about it. This is Dr. Ted Seaslack. You might remember him from our first episode. He told me that yes, even though it's not common, sometimes animals and humans can share viruses, like this one disease called monkeypox. Here's Dr. Ted Seaslack to tell us more. Uh, you've probably heard of the disease monkeypox. Uh, it's called that because it mainly affects monkeys, but it can certainly affect humans as well. So it may be that this COVID. Um, is one of those diseases that can affect uh, multiple species. So there have been reports uh, of uh, cats getting this disease. Those are still very early reports. We have to check those out and 
make sure that's what those animals really had. And we don't yet know whether um, we caught the disease from cats or cats caught the disease from us or uh, what's going on there. We do know that many human viruses uh, originally um, came from animals, and in particular, bats um, are uh, suspect as the cause of uh, many new viral infections in humans. So in the case of COVID, we think that this disease once upon a time started in bats. And bats, uh, interestingly, uh, rarely seem to get sick from these viruses. Uh, but the bats then probably passed it on uh, to some other animal. And one animal that they're theorizing uh, is an interesting animal called the pangolin, which is kind of a scaly anteater. Uh, and then it's thought that maybe humans got the disease from these anteaters. But all of that is theoretical right now. There's still a lot that we as scientists don't know, and we're studying that. So is it possible that uh, tigers and other cats have gotten COVID? Yes. Could they have gotten it from humans? Uh, possibly. Um, but there's a lot we don't know yet. And in terms of how it would be passed on, would it be the exact same virus or would it be uh, a slightly mutated version of the virus that was able to hop on the receptors inside of that cat? Yeah, that's a great question. And the short answer is we don't know. Again, since viruses are fairly species specific, um, they usually bind to unique receptors that we may not share with other animals. On the other hand, uh, we know that viruses mutate all the time. Um, and it's possible that just some small, slight mutation uh, did take what, what was a human virus and um, make it infectious for cats. But I'm speculating there. We're not sure of that. Of course. Yeah, yeah. We don't actually know. It's a, I mean, that's part of the crazy, the wild world of science that we are all living in right now. And everything is being discovered and studied so quickly right now. Well, that does it for our virus questions today. So speaking of animals, what about some more ancient animals? A lot of you have been asking questions about dinosaurs. Like how did they go extinct? How many were there? What did they look like? So to help us answer those questions, I've brought in a special guest from the Omaha Children's Museum. This is Lizzie Plank. When we're not all staying in our homes, Lizzie performs live science shows at the Omaha Children's Museum. Hi Lizzie, thanks for getting on the phone today. Hello everyone. Of course, it's my pleasure. So here's our first question. It comes from Layla. She wants to know how many dinosaurs were there. Hi, my name is Layla Cooper. I would like to know how many dinosaurs were on the Earth. All right, Layla, that is an excellent question. Uh, the most simple answer is that we really don't know how many dinosaurs there were. All we know is from what we have discovered from the fossil records, and those are incomplete. Hmm, a fossil record, Lizzie. What's a fossil record? A fossil record is a group of fossils which have been examined and arranged in the time period in which they were found. So usually that is shown by which layer of Earth they're in, because the Earth has different layers which, with how deep it is, can show how old that fossil might be. 
So a fossil that's way down in the earth might be, will probably be older than a fossil which is found a little closer to the surface. Oh, okay. So, like, if you were maybe making a birthday cake with lots of layers, and you do the first layer of the cake at the bottom, and then you put icing, and then another layer of cake goes on top, and then another layer of icing, and by the time you're done, the very first layer that you put on, that's the one that's going to be at the bottom. The oldest layer is at the bottom. Yes, but think of this over probably millions and millions of years. That's a really old cake. Yes, that is a really old cake. <laughs> and also there's a bunch of surprises in between. Some of them are like bugs in the most recent layer, like worms, and some of them are fossils way down there. And so what is a fossil, Lizzie? Well, a fossil is the remains or impression of a, a thing that used to be alive but isn't any longer. It is not, as some people think, an actual bone. Okay, so is it kind of like if you had a footprint in the sand at the beach, but then that footprint got frozen in time and stayed there for a thousand years for someone else to find it? That's true. That would be called a trace fossil, like imprints of a very old flower or even coprolite, which is ancient dino poop, which is actually full of information. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Okay, so now that we know what fossils are and the fossil record, which is the different layers, just like the layers of a cake, now can you tell us how many dinosaurs there were? Well, again, we don't really know because not only does some organic material or, you know, living material from way back then not survive, but sometimes for fossils to be created, they have to be covered by earth or dirt, and sometimes that doesn't happen or sometimes not all of the bones of the dinosaur is covered so they'll be missing significant chunks. The most complete fossil of a Tyrannosaurus rex is Sue. Sue is also non-binary because they can't figure out her gender, their gender, which I think is great. And they are the most complete example of a T-Rex we have. But most times we only get bits and pieces of fossil. So a lot of what we have imagined dinosaurs to be as they are now is probably not what they looked like. We have established that most dinosaurs probably had feathers, but we only know about the bones and maybe the skin, but all of the muscles and the fat, we don't know what it looks like. Okay, Liz, so I think I understand that what you're saying is we don't know exactly how many dinosaurs there were because the only records that we have of them aren't complete. Like, we don't know. Sometimes things could have gotten washed away, or maybe they kind of disintegrated into the earth, but we just have no way of knowing if we actually accounted for every dinosaur. It would be like if the attendance record at your school didn't really do a good job of checking each student. You wouldn't really be able to know how many kids went to that school. That's right. Very good. Well, all right. Thanks so much, Lizzie, for answering our first dino question. We'll get to the next dino question next week. Well, that just about does it for us today. But now I feel hungry from all of that thinking. So let's call up Cheryl from the Kids Kitchen and see what she's got cooking today. Hi, Emily and all you hungry scientists. This is Cheryl from the Omaha Children's Museum. How about breakfast? This week, we're making pumpkin pancakes. 
Join me at the Omaha Children's Museum Facebook page for Kitchen ABCs. I hope to see you there. I'm Emily, and this is Six Feet of Science. If you have a science question that just can't wait until you go back to school, get a parent or sibling to help you make the call. The number is 531-299-9331. Leave me a voicemail with your name, your question, and oh, be sure to let us know if it's okay to use your name and your voice on our show. Again, that number is 531-299-9331. Our theme music comes from Culture House. That's culture with an X if you look for them on Instagram. We also have music from Colin Smith. We have links to both of those musicians on our show's website, which you can find on kios.org. We owe a huge thanks this episode to our expert explainers and to the Omaha Children's Museum. I'm Emily Chen-Newton. Be sure to check in next week for more of Six Feet of Science.